Chapter 8 Pete Zetkowski was outside his Cadillac, bending over into the driver's rearview mirror to pick food out of his teeth when I pulled the red minivan into the lot of the steak haven. The steak haven sat on the edge of a shopping plaza next to a big box store. The food there wasn't bad. If you liked your steak to taste like a pair of combat boots and your mashed potatoes like wallpaper paste. What Steak Haven had was a large meeting room and a cheap buffet, which made it a great place for local civic groups to meet. I parked a couple rows back and shut the engine off. Flashy Pete stood up, adjusted his jacket and his tie, and walked into the restaurant. Before he grabbed the door, he adjusted his cufflinks and swiped a hand along the side of his slick hair. I hoped it wouldn't be a late night, and wherever Pete was allegedly headed after this, I hoped he didn't drive any faster than 40 miles an hour. This piece of shit van would probably shake itself apart if it did. Springs in the driver's seat poked me in the left shoulder and jabbed in the back of my right thigh. Gus must have sprayed the interior of the van with that new car smell shit for an hour to cover up the stale cigarette smoke and God knows what else. It barely worked. There were questionable stains on the back bench seat's dark red upholstery. I didn't know what it was, but I didn't want to either. Despite these defects, the van wasn't a lot different than the other vehicles around me, which made it fit in perfectly. I poured a cup of coffee from the thermos beside me and settled in for a long and hopefully boring night. I hoped Mia Zetkowski was wrong about her husband. I doubted it. Wives have an uncanny way of knowing when their husbands stray. Maybe he wasn't fooling around. Maybe he was going back to his office in City Hall and working late. Anybody who was out in the community that often had to be behind on the mundane responsibilities of his position, right? And it was a paying case. I could never turn down a paying case. It wasn't that I was hopeful for any kind of reconciliation. I wanted to get back on Anna Maria's case. I hadn't brought the coded journal with me, but those five letters were burned into my brain. I had to see what I could do while waiting on Flashy Pete to leave the Rotary Club meeting. I felt like I was close to a solution. Those two X's in LMXOX had to be vowels. It would just be figuring out which ones. I probably had a good hour before His Honor came out of Stakehaven to work on it. Sipping coffee out of my metal cup, I pulled a notebook and a pencil from the passenger seat and scrawled the letters across the page. LMXOX. I plugged in two A's below the X's. What kind of name would that be? Noah. No, there was only one A. And I'm making the assumption it was male. Maybe the names were female. After all, Rosario said Anna Maria wasn't working as a hooker. Then again, I'm making assumptions that only men hired hookers. The way things had changed in the last ten years, who the hell knew? I tried plugging in some consonants. T-R-A-N-A. S-H-A-N-A. S-T-A-N-A. None of those sounded like real names, male or female. I stopped writing. What if those A's were E's? S-T-E-N-E. Wait. No, I had it. That was it. Steve. Damn it. Steve who? Wished I'd brought the journal with me. I could have worked on the last name. It would have to wait. Headlights came on from the car in front of me. I dumped the notebook back into the passenger seat and gulped the remainder of my coffee. It wasn't the mayor, but a large group of professional-looking people were coming out of the restaurant. I searched the crowd, finding him at the door, shaking hands as folks left. I kept my eyes on him as the cars around me pulled away. There wasn't one person that Pete Zitkowski didn't focus on before walking to his Cadillac.
After about ten minutes, he got into his car and pulled out of the parking lot. I cranked the key in the ignition, and the van rattled to life. I pulled out behind him and followed at a safe distance. He headed back through downtown, passed by the city building. There went the idea that he went back to his office. Looks like Mia was right. I was about half a block back as Pete turned onto one of the side streets. I ran the light to catch him heading through Tubman Gardens. Another couple turns and we were on the other side of town, nearing the industrial park I'd visited earlier. So he wouldn't get suspicious, I drove past him as he turned down the landscape boulevard. I made a sharp U-turn around and shot back in. The squat concrete buildings were largely dark, closed for the day. Headlights flashed in the next block of buildings. Cutting the van's headlights, I pulled around the corner to see Pete pull up in front of Rosario Drayton's accounting firm. His Cadillac was the only vehicle parked out front. The lights were out, like many other buildings, but Pete selected a key from his key ring, sliding it into the lock on the door. With a flip of his wrist, the door was open, and he stepped inside. I got out of the van and slipped up next to the window. I couldn't see inside. Heavy curtains, which had been open earlier today, were now closed, blocking the front window. After checking for security cameras, I slipped in between the buildings, circling around, hoping to find other windows. There were none. No other cars were parked back there either. I couldn't hear anything going on inside. Why would the mayor have access to an accounting firm after hours? Was he meeting someone? Someone like Rosario? What the hell was going on? I'd have to ask Mia in the morning, but until then I needed to get back to the van and wait for Pete to come out. It was two hours. Two hours of sucking down lukewarm coffee as I stared at the building before the door opened and the mayor poked his head out. I was parked in the shadows away from the streetlights. Pete never saw me as he stepped outside, locked the door, and got into his car. There was no evidence of any shower. His hair wasn't wet. He didn't look like he'd engaged in any heavy physical activity. In fact, he didn't look any different than he had when he'd spoken at the Rotary Club a few hours before. I let him pull away, waiting to see if anyone followed him out. After half an hour, no one did. I cranked up the van and headed back to town. I cruised past the Zetkowski's house in the hills. As expected, the Cadillac was sitting in the driveway and the lights in the front room were on. It was 11.15pm. Mia was probably up watching the news, waiting for him. I pulled briefly up to the curb across the street. Had she challenged him about his whereabouts? I'd ask her not to do that, but you never knew about the dynamics of any marriage. Were they arguing? I got the impression that she wasn't the kind of wife to raise her voice. In a few minutes, the downstairs lights went out, and another went on upstairs. I pulled away from the curb and headed home. Mary Margaret was asleep on the couch when I opened the door. She sat up suddenly, wiping her eyes. Hello, Fitz, she said, stretching. There was a half-empty glass of soda and a stack of celebrity gossip magazines on the coffee table. How did it go tonight? I shook my head. Nothing that exclusively proves he's fooling around. How'd it go with the kid? Mary Margaret clasped her hands and stretched her arms down between her scrawny legs. Not bad. He's not a bad kid. He's been through an awful lot. I'm sure he has. I'm also sure he's able to spin the kind of tale designed to pull your heartstrings. And none of it true. Now, oh, Fitz, come on. He's a kid. 
He's a fucking delinquent. Did he give you any shit? Mary Margaret stood and gathered her belongings. No, not a bit. Good. Put this on your time card. You can come in late tomorrow if you want, or take off early on Friday. Okay, I'll take off early Friday. Oh, before I forget, Alicia Linderman called for you. She did. What time did she call? My stomach sank to my feet. Giving me guardianship over Marco was a sign that she still had some trust in me. And for the first time in a long, long time, she'd spoken civilly to me. Now she calls out of the blue, outside of office hours. What did that mean? Or was I reading too much into it? Uh, about 9, 9.30, I guess. She said she was checking on Marco, making sure he was at home. You know, curfew and all. Yeah, curfew. I told her you were on a stakeout and wouldn't be home till later. She asked me how late and I told her at least midnight. She said she might call back, she might not, but if she doesn't, call her in the morning at the courthouse. Okay. So, it's just a curfew check after all. Mary Margaret slipped her purse onto her shoulders and held her magazines close to her bony chest. I walked her to the front door. Good night, Fitz. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, sure. I went upstairs and opened Marco's bedroom slightly. His back was to me, his yellow matchstick hair barely visible between the pillow and the blankets. Sleepily, he rolled over, shading his eyes with his arm. What? Hey, kiddo. How are you? Okay. Fear and uncertainty flitted across his face, followed by familiar belligerence. Maybe Mary Margaret was right. I wondered what kind of drama had burst in on him at night. What do you want? Nothing. Just checking in on you. Go back to sleep. Okay. We waved awkwardly at each other and I closed the door. Down the hall a few steps, the phone in my bedroom rang. I flopped on the bed as I picked up the handset from its base. Hello, Fitz. How are you? Alicia's words slurred a bit. Good evening, Counselor. Have you been drinking? Maybe. A bit. <laughs> you alone? I didn't figure you'd call me unless two things happened. You were drunk and you were by yourself. You're so smart, Fitz. Yeah, she was drunk. Where's probate boy? Florida. Some golf outing with his fraternity brothers. Apparently he does it every year. Then he can't take you with him? Eh, it's no big deal. If it was no big deal, you and your vodka bottle wouldn't be calling me in the middle of the night. She was silent. I was, too. We were both digesting what had gone on between us. The hot nights, the angry words, the cold silence. It was my stupid fear of more heartbreak after Gracie's death that kept Alicia and me apart. I finally spoke up. So, you happy? Sure. I heard ice clink in a glass and the sound of her sipping. You know, this is the first time in a long time we've talked outside your office. I know. Silence filled the space between us as the ice in her glass clinked and then clinked again. Boy, she was really tossing it back. Was she as uncomfortable as I was? Or were we back to where we ended last time with her angry at my fear of falling in love again? I can't go there. Not now. Why prolong the agony? Marco had to get to school on time, and I needed a good night's sleep. Well, listen, Alicia, I've got a... I miss you, Fitz. What did she just say? Alicia, I... 
I stuttered, trying to sound coherent. Before I could finish my sentence, the ice clanked as she gulped her drink again. Then she hung up the phone.